Welcome to this podcast, The Road to Wellbeing. My name is Dr. Marjorie Kinney. Each episode, I'll be giving you simple exercises, activities, or tips that can help you take one step after the other on your own road to lasting mental strength and well-being. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, welcome to this podcast. So today I'm going to do things a little differently than I usually do. Usually I kind of pick a topic and write some notes and um, or some bullet points of things that I want to make sure I don't forget. And um, this time I decided to really go off the cuff and just just talk without notes. So, <laughs> and I'm not going to edit this later. So there may be lots of pauses and ums and mm. And and that's the whole point. So today's podcast, the topic for today is confessions of a counselor. So I'm a mental health counselor, mental health coach, whatever you want to call it. And I had this aha moment a few weeks ago, or a moment of re- reflection, rather. It wasn't really an aha moment. <laughs> I'm a slow thinker, so these things take time to process in my mind. And I'll I'll just tell you what happened. So a few weeks ago, or maybe a few actually a few months ago by now, um a client called me who I had been working with a couple of years ago and I, I hadn't seen her in a long time and she called out of the blue and said, you know, I've been kind of dealing with some new stuff and I was wondering if I could, if we could meet up again. And I, of course, said yes. And a week or two later, we met up, and I was happy to see her, and she seemed happy to see me. And we got to talking, and she asked, how's your family doing? How's your husband? And I said, oh, I, you know, I think I should tell you that since you and I have seen each other last, actually my husband and I split up. And I could just see, like, <laughs> kind of the the classic movie face where, um, you know, her jaw just kind of dropped, and she looked at me, and um, I said, "Well, you know, it's it's been a while now, and um, it was quite the shock, and I went through a really tough time, but I'm I'm back on my two feet now, and you know, I'm I'm in a I'm I'm actually in a very good place right now, and because you don't want to." talk about your own life too much when when people are coming to talk to you about their problems I kind of tried to <laughs> gently bring the the focus of our attention back to her and ask you know what was going on why are you here today and she looked very distraught and said Marjorie I can't this is too much for me I can't I can't just switch the topic so quickly and um and she said you know, how did this happen? And she had lots of questions and I tried to answer her. And and I said, you know what? I tried to kind of repeat myself and reassure. And you know, it was really hard and it was very painful, but no, I'm doing okay. And you know, these things do happen and one suffers a lot. and, and, And she said, yes, but you look very sad. You know, and you could tell she was just kind of confused by all of this, and it was seemed very abrupt for her. And and I tried to tell her, you know, I am very sad, and 
I carry deep, deep sorrow around with me, and uh, I don't know how long this will last, but it's just, it's it's okay to be sad, and I have moments of sorrow each day, and I have many, many moments of joy and growth, and I think I'm, a, I'm I actually am in a very, very good place right now, and, and I allow that sorrow to be. It's it's there, and maybe in time it'll go away, and it'll just be a scar, and that's just who I am, and that's what I'm going through right now. And and again, I try to bring the focus back to her. And I could just tell this this was this kind of this information was too much for her, and kind of touched upon upon the problems she was going through, and I you know, talked about what we could work on and how we could do it and gave her the the questionnaire, the questions I always give people and um, told her to just call me when she was done filling them out and we'd, and we'd make uh, appointments for, for her to come back. And that after that sitting, I just kind of thought, well, this isn't how the feeling between us used to be. You know, there was... It's just there was something new in the room today, and, and I could understand that. And for for many days, I reflected upon her reaction and um, the feeling in the room. And I got to the point where I realized, you know, I'd fallen off my pedestal. And I, what I think is that she used to have me very high up on this pedestal of, okay, this kind of wise being who has everything worked out and the family life and kids and work and all this stuff. And I had really lost her trust in that moment when I confessed part of my real life to her. And I wonder, and I can't quite recall because it's been a while now, if if when I had been meeting up with her, I'd never told her any of my personal struggles or let her into my, my deeper... Um, Opened up my heart to her is how I'd say it. Be, be really authentic, and that's something that has grown during my practice, which I've I've learned to open up and um, allow people to see as part of being a good coach, a good counselor. And I think that's something you know when we're looking for people to help us in a mental health care kind of way. That is what makes it key. It's the authenticity. Making, knowing that the person behind the lab coat, so to say, is a real person who suffered and gone through struggles. And that, that is what makes really good helpers really good helpers as they've been through it themselves. And like the, the kind of counter example I have for this is, um, so I, <laughs> I got I, I wanted to branch off and and become independent because um, of my own personal struggles and what I found worked and and what hasn't worked and um, as far as helping oneself and helping others and and it hasn't been that long, super super long that I've been on my own feed and I'm still learning how to do things like Instagram and you know get my presence out there and. And in the springtime, I was uh, in the train station and still very much struggling <laughs> with Instagram. So maybe I still am. Um, and I was at the newsstand in the little shop at the train station. 
and I saw this magazine from like this yoga meditation guru kind of lady here in Germany and I thought oh I'll buy it and see if I can get some inspiration on how she's doing things and kind of you know I don't know try and get some inspiration so I bought it it was very expensive by the way and I'm leafing through this thing, and I actually, after a while, I couldn't help but laugh out loud. And I found myself just kind of laughing and shaking my head because this was a, I don't know, 50-page magazine full of pictures of this one lady. <laughs> like, so there were pictures of her doing yoga in Bali and pictures of her doing yoga in Hawaii and, you know, she talks about how she loves her home in Hawaii and does this silent yoga retreats in, in Bali every year. And then she shows pictures of herself in her third or fourth home, what do I know, in her posh apartment in Berlin doing yoga. And, you know, in every picture, it's, it's perfect. It's perfect. And she's got this perfect pose and perfect clothes and this perfect figure. And then she's... Next page is her with her eyes closed meditating and she'll give you affirmations and it's all in this like cute little cursive writing. And then smack in the middle of the magazine, she's advertising like 200, 200 euro pairs of shoes. And at first I thought it was funny and then my, my, my heart kind of started to, my heart and my stomach, my stomach's my tell-all organ. When my stomach is upset, I know something's not right. <laughs> my stomach started to churn, and I'm like, you know, not only, you know, I started laughing at this, but I actually, this, this is unethical stuff. So you're, you're selling yourself as this wise being, as this person who can help you grow and become a better you. And you're trying to do it by making the perfect picture of yourself. Perfect in every way. Wealthy, fit, um, wearing flowing white clothes with no wrinkles in every picture. Your hair and your makeup looks perfect in every picture. And that's how you're trying to tell people. That's how you're trying to gain their trust. To believe in your wisdom and, and your ability to help them. And I thought, wow, that is, that's really sad. And I, I hope not too many people are buying into this. Um, true, the ability to really help other people comes from having gone, yes, a lot of knowledge and formal education, certainly, but moreover, having gone through it and come out the other end yourself. And the more I practice and the more I'm able to do things my own way, by the way. So I, um, I have a master's in counseling psychology and a doctorate in clinical psychology. So I know a lot, a lot about <laughs> psychology and helping people from medical books and from statistic books and from manuals on how to treat this disorder and how to treat that disorder. But I think, um, or rather, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you guys another story. I'll tell you why I actually got into um, the independent work that I got into. 
So I, I I believe in fate, or not that not that the stars have everything aligned and that everything happens. It's all like kind of planned out. Rather, we make decisions based upon our history, and we we attract energy and we attract people based on um, experiences we've had. And I'm don't can't remember exactly when I made the decision, but I'm positive that I became a counselor because of having gone through a lot of really difficult and stressful situations in my own childhood and watching my family and my loved ones struggling a lot. And they continued uh, into my doctoral work um, for the same reason, just of my own personal history. And you know, the the best of my colleagues, by the way, too, the, the colleagues that I go to and the friends I go to when I need help are, are those who I know went through difficult times themselves. So that's not like the shooting star who had this glorious academic re- record. Rather, it's these, these people who I, I saw them struggle and I saw them get through it. And those are the ones I trust the most. Anyway, so you guys have heard me talk before on this podcast that I've I've gone through depression before and I talk a lot about it and I think that's important. And I, the first time I went to a counselor, I was about 17 and the depression would come and go and, you know, I'd be kind of floating along and then I'd reach a bump in the road and um, I moved a lot. I've moved to different countries. I've moved to different cities and, you know, that can be put a lot of strain on someone and, Kind of with every move, I'd feel like, oh, gosh. And I was doing okay. And then in the last, oh, gosh, I don't know, let's say six years, the depression was starting to get worse and worse and worse. And kind of, not kind of, it got to a point where at the the last two episodes, I would say, were pretty debilitating where I was just having a hard time. I'll give you an example. I remember starting my PhD and I came home one day crying and I was just like full. And I mean, there was no room for anything else, just full of self-doubt. Just like, oh my God, I'm never going to make this. These people are so smart. I was at this lecture today and I had no clue what, you know, what was going on. I didn't even, I had to do statistics. I didn't understand anything. And it just kind of spiraled into this. You're like, you're dumb and you're never good enough anyway. And why did you think you'd be able to do this? So you guys, you know, you guys who've been through depression, you know what I'm talking about. These are very common symptoms of depression. And then the last episode was just so bad. And By then I had finished my doctorate and I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm a counselor, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I'm doing all the right things. I'm doing the things we were taught to do. I'm getting help, I'm seeing a therapist, I've taken antidepressants, and it was only getting worse, and it was getting worse. And the situation around me was also making it, um, was aggravating it. And I just thought there, I had this moment of what the hell kind of like, I'm doing all, I have so much intellectual knowledge about depression and how to treat it and what works statistically and what doesn't work. And why isn't it working on me? And I've worked in clinics and I've worked in practices and I've seen 
great cases of success. And I've seen a lot of meh cases where, you know, after months or years of treatment, a patient's like, well, kind of better. And so as these things do, the stars kind of aligned, and I had quite a few moments of, ah, uh, okay, kind of like, Ta -ta 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 -ta. And the, the dominoes fell and made room for, for growth and for um, new ideas. And one of them was, yes, there's a lot of great advances and knowledge in the academic and clinical world of psychology. They are not the golden rule. And they're not working on me. And I've seen them not work on a lot of other people. And then the second thing was, I had moved around a lot, I'd been in different jobs, I'd been in different relationships, and, and I'd always kind of blamed that, like the outside world. And that was also the treatment I was getting, it was from the outside world, so from counselors and therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists who who were treating for me from the outside, so saying things to me like, oh, but you're so accomplished, you're such a great person, and I just didn't believe any of it, right, because it's coming from the outside, or arguably, right, also psychopharmacology is also a form of treatment from the outside, and I had this moment where I thought, you know, if all these things are changing, and, I, and I'm still fighting depression, the healing cannot come from the outside, it has to come from the inside. And that really got me started on several years of deep, deep <laughs> inner work and change. And I'll, I'll just tell you, I just read dozens and dozens and dozens of books by about meditation. Tara Brock, Jack Cornfield, all of it. I started um, meditating again after years of having not meditated. I'm now in a two-year training program for to become a mindful meditation teacher. I read all the books on the biology of belief and how you can change your own biology by Bruce Lipton and um, everything on how you can change your biology, right? And depression does have a lot to do with biology and your the, the chemicals in your brain and uh, also your neural networks and just the way your brain is developing. All the books on how to change your own biology. I became a hypnotherapist and have had wonderful experiences with self-hypnosis and hypnosis on others. I took classes on how to become a psyche facilitator and an NLP coach, and all of these things just started to make a difference. They started to make a real, real difference in how I felt for the first time in decades. And I got to the point where I realized th th these are the things, these are the things that are making a difference in people. This is what I want to work with. This is how I want to help people. And these new skills, they're all from the inside out. And I wanted to work with this and not with behavioral psychology or psycho 
analysis or things like that. And that's why I really set off my own. And the second part that I think is so important about the work I do and, and other colleagues, other coaches and counselors that I just think are the best of the best, and that is this authenticity, this heart, this open heart. I make mistakes and I fall on my face over and over and over again because I'm a human and that's how I learn and I have pain and sorrow and suffering and that gives a good helper empathy because they've been there. They know exactly what it feels like and they're not afraid to open up and tell you, yeah, I've been there and it really sucks, doesn't it? And I, to bring it back full circle, I, that's been part of my learning process as having the freedom <laughs> to use the tools and the methods that I think are the most important. You know, when, when I was being trained as a counselor, they teach you to, you know, don't bring up your own problems too often. Don't talk about yourself. Don't put any pictures of yourself in your office or of your kids. And you kind of put this um, this wall between you and your your clients. And and that's not, I think, the key to helping. I think the key to helping is being heartful, being truly open, being open to yourself and being open to others, right? When you open up your heart and you say, man, this feels really bad, but it's okay because I'm a human and, and humans go through these things. And then you can be the same way to other people, you know? Yeah, I, I really messed up that one time and I learned about it and it's really not a big deal to admit it. And in my own evolution as becoming a better better counselor I've gotten to that point too where I started out doing all the things the way I was taught you know um keeping the distance and being very professional and keeping boundaries right there's always this talk about boundaries keeping your boundaries and that I realized but the people who have helped me the most right when I go through these um hypnosis training or psyche training and all the people who are, who are training with and we all open up to each other and we all yes yes i have man i've i've you know when you when you're in a big room and there's kind of like this this me too movement in the room okay how many of you have been traumatized you know most of the room will raise their hand how many of you have felt shame gone through depression considered suicide how many of you have had debilitating self-doubt, you know, and almost every, you know, we're all raising our hands. And that's, that's a time when you open up that you can really heal yourself and heal other people. And I've learned through my practice, I don't really need those boundaries. When I've been helped the most, it's been by, you know, one of the most healing things I ever heard was I was going through this this worst case of depression. And the therapist was, like, trying to help me, and she's telling me all this stuff. And then I went to a friend, a very, very trusted friend of mine and a colleague of mine. And um, you know, I was telling her, I was like, you know, I'm so selfish. I'm such a terrible, horrible person, and I can't believe I'm, I'm hurting people and spending mornings in bed and not helping my kids. And... I'm so dumb, and I, you know, if I could just try a little harder, be a little smarter, and 
I'm just, this is, I'm just such a horrible person. And she looked at me and she said, Marjorie, you are the kindest and one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. You know, I just, I kind of fell in love with you when we first met. And she meant this as in my friends. And because I heard that from someone who cares about me deeply and who has seen me cry and be at my worst and gone through physical and mental pain, it clicked to me that she could see me at the worst of my worst and still think the best of me. And that that open-hearted empathy, that is what it takes to heal. And I don't want clients, I want clients to, if they need a hug, I want to be able to hug them. I want them to stop over at Christmas and for us to have a cup of mulled wine together and eat cookies because they feel so comfortable coming over to my place. I a couple of weeks ago, I, I accidentally called one of my smaller clients. I said, oh, sweetheart, you know, if I had said that in the clinic, it would have been horrible. But here in my practice, that's exactly how I felt. This is a great, great kid, and sweetheart felt out, fell out because that's how I feel about him. He's a great kid, and I really care about him, and I want to be able to show that to him. And this is a very long monologue about when you guys are, one of the great things about Corona is that there's a lot of help online, and, and take it. You know, take this opportunity. If you're not feeling well, get help online. Get, go to coaches and counselors who are doing online Zoom meetings and other things. and But look for someone who's showing you their heart. Don't look for glossy photographs of someone on riding on a white horse down the beach. Look for people who are authentic and open to you. Those are the ones who are going to help you the most. Someone who has the balls to open up online and say, you know what, I'm not perfect. I've, I've, I've gone through a lot of ups and downs and struggles and those are the ones who are going to be able to help you because they have gotten to the point where they've gotten over themselves and can open up people who are selling themselves in magazines with lotus flowers in their hair actually i don't think you could put a lotus flower in your hair that kind of wet and heavy but you know what i mean whatever daisies in their hair and lotus flowers in their lap those are people selling you an image that they're perfect. And wisdom and empathy does not come from uh, spending thousands at a yoga retreat in Bali. It comes from life experiences. Yeah? So that's kind of my rant and rage for today. When you're looking for mental health professionals or someone who can help you going through a rough time, Look for authentic heart, for openness. And those are the people you can really trust. Okay. <laughs> Next time I'll come back with something more, I don't know, more helpful for you. But those are my confessions for today. And, um, yeah, be well. Give yourself a hug today. Let yourself also feel sadness and sorrow and it's okay, you're a human, you make mistakes, and how glorious it is that we can learn from, from life's experiences and learn to grow and become better human beings and 
be better to each other and better to ourselves. Bye.